Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This sermon is from our epic retreat, and in our third session, Matt Densky talks about the Holy Spirit in the form of wind. We look at John 3, verses 1 through 15, where Jesus tells Nicodemus that the wind blows where it wishes, meaning that there is not always a true pattern or certainty to the Holy Spirit. Matt also teaches out of Numbers 21, verses 7 through 9, looking at how God's judgment is always paired with His mercy. Matt challenges us to put our hope fully in Jesus, orienting our lives around Him. We hope you enjoy this message. Man, you guys, you guys doing well tonight? <laughs> you guys excited to be here at Epic 13th year, man. Hey, I just want you to know, it has been so good being with you this weekend. I've had such a good time with each and every one of you. Red team, blue team, I love you both. I got nothing but love for you both. Yeah, man, you all are awesome. Um, the sequence, the, the, the sequence right here, that was a, a storm. Is there anyone in the room who, like, loves storms? Yeah, really? <laughs> like, every hand's going up. But what I mean is, like, do you love being in a storm? No, yeah. I don't mean, like, watching from home, peeping through the blinds, like, whoo. I mean, like, being in it. Yeah? Like, here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. When you're, when you're at college, this, this tornado came through Columbia, South Carolina. And one, and one year at college, I, I was woken up in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., this tornado touched down on our campus. I mean, it sounded like a freight train was going through campus, just like the wind was going. Trees were coming down everywhere. Rain was hitting my window. I was woken up to this whole thing. I had my window just cracked, so my blinds were like, like blowing in my room. It was nuts. And I, I run to the window uh, to, to see what was the clatter. I feel like I just talked about the Santa Claus thing. I ran to the window, uh, and I peeked outside during this tornado, and there's this dude, like, just strolling through campus. All I see is a black silhouette, like this person is just walking, and the lightning hits, and I just see him walking. I'm like, bro, it's mid-tornado. <laughs> like, what are you doing? It's 3 a.m., tornado is touching down, and he's just like, chilling. <laughs> like, I was like, all right, man. I mean, that's the kind of, you like that storm? One person now. We've narrowed it down. We've narrowed it down, a few of you guys. I like storms too, man. I don't love being in violent ones, but I like them. Is there anyone in the room who's just like, dude, I, I don't like storms. I, like, I steal my dog's, like, thunder vest when it storms, you know what I mean? Like, squeeze into it. Yeah, I like them, but I, I don't love being in very, very violent ones. They, they remind you pretty quickly of how fragile you are, how small you are. A, a really violent storm has the ability to, to kind of remind you, you have zero control. And you are pretty powerless when, when nature really starts going around you. It's, it's sobering. It's terrifying in some ways and exciting. A few years ago, a friend of mine and I decided we would go on a, a multi-day backpacking trip, like a five-day backpacking trip, just the two of us. And... Um, and he was an experienced um, hiker, uh, and, and so we knew we could put in the mileage. We knew we could, like, really, you know, have some long days. It was going to be really fun. So we drove up to the mountains, and we uh, started hiking. And the weather wasn't great to begin with, but it wasn't awful. It was just overcast, kind of foggy, like, at night. It was really foggy, and it was really, um, you know, it was that kind of fog that, like, seeps into your clothing, really moist. So everything was just dewy and wet all the time. And being in December, uh, it was cold. You know, it was in the... 
in the 30s and 40s, and so it, it, it was not the worst weather, but it was definitely wasn't the most comfortable of trips, and so night one was fine, um, and then night two was, was kind of fine, but in the middle of night two, this storm front kind of rolled over us and pretty much stayed there uh, for the remainder of our trip, and so it started raining, and this rain is the kind of rain that just sinks into your skeleton, you know what I mean? Like just the, oh, just the annoying, like I'm constantly cold, it doesn't matter what I do, it is, it is sinking into my skin, like I just in a permanent state of pruniness, you know? And, and um, so we wake up on morning three and everything is soaked and it's kind of one of those things, you're talking to yourself in the tent, like, all right, come on, buddy, like get out of the tent, you know, just embrace it, like Let's move. We got to get moving today. And so we're packing up. We're getting rained on and everything. And we put in a long day. Like this day ends pretty late. And my friend um, starts to, his legs are cramping up. He, he, he's just not feeling the best. And he, he's shivering a lot. He just can't shake uh, this, this wetness and this coldness. And so on the morning of uh, day four, we wake up and he's, he's just not doing great. And so it, it takes us a while to get going and I'm trying to take care of him. And we decide, man, the best course of action would be, let's just, let's go back down the mountain. I mean, we, we, we're, we're days away from our car. I mean, this is a, a point A to point B back to point A. We're, we're days away from our car, but we've got to get back um, because he's just getting in a worse and worse condition. But I know where we're at in this section of the park, in this section of the National Forest, and I know if we just take this trail up, there's this little spur trail that hits it, and that trail leads to a parking lot. Maybe we'll find some cars in the parking lot, and someone will be gracious enough to give us a ride down the mountain. And if not, even if no one's there, why don't we walk back down the mountain on the road as opposed to the trail? Your, your legs are cramping. The asphalt will be a little easier on your feet. It's level ground. I mean, we can make way more mileage on the road than the trail. It seemed like a good idea. Well, we got to the top of the ridge and we came down the trail and we got to the parking lot to find it completely, and I mean utterly empty, and I've never seen this parking lot empty in my life. It's packed out always, like for a mile down the road, cars are lining it, and today it was empty. And we had come to find out that the Blue Ridge Parkway closed a section of the Blue Ridge during this time of year due to ice falls, and so there were no cars anywhere in this section of the Forest. And so we knew in that moment we are utterly alone. And it was kind of an eerie feeling. And we'd only, we'd only seen two people in the four days that we'd been on the trail, and they were on their way out, and that was on day two. I mean, we, we hadn't seen no one. We, we just had this feeling of like, dude, we are alone. So we start walking down the road. We stick to our plan. Let's try to get off the mountain. And we, we walk as, as far as we can, and, and, and that night um, we camp on this little grassy kind of out, outcove thing right uh, beside the road, and we, so we set up a tent there, and we sleep. Morning five, we wake up to a terrifying storm. I mean, our tent, it, it, it's like someone ha, ha, just is flashing a camera in our tent, like the lightning is just just pounding, and our tent is, is illuminated, and we wake up to this whole thing, and it's, it's <laughs> you like that, it's just flashing as, as uh, violently as it can, and where there's lightning, there's thunder, and so every time it flashes, I mean, you're just waiting on it, and I mean, it's just rumbling our tent, it's vibrating, there's this storm directly above us, and we are exposed on this little grassy ridge area, and it was terrifying, the rain is pelting us, our tent is swaying, it's thundering, it's violent, the, the lightning is flashing, and we just look at each other like, dude, we've got to get out of this. We are exposed, and this is dangerous. So we throw everything we can into our backpacks 
totally mispacked it, not balanced correctly. We throw it on our, on our uh, backs. We, we tear down the tent. And the only thing we didn't pack was the rain fly to the tent because we just figured, dude, if we're getting soaked as it is, why don't we just add an extra level layer of protection? And so we threw the rain fly over us. And literally the person up front, their field of view is this right here. Like they, they're like Little Red Riding Hood, the, the rain fly, you know what I mean? Like just peeking through it barely. And the person behind, their field of view is the feet of the person in front. And the trail is just unstable. There's rocks everywhere. There's water everywhere. Lightning is hidden and pounding. Thunder's going. I mean, it was terrifying. The trees, like they're just blowing and creaking. I mean, you're just looking up. Everything's whipping and it was scary. And so we dart into the woods because on the map, there's this one random trail right here in this little adjacent to this little grassy area that we were in. There's this one trail. And we thought, dude, we've got to take this trail because this trail connects to kind of this forestry road. And if you follow that road for a while, it kind of connects to this path that should be there, but it looks to be outdated. And I don't know, man, but this is our best shot. We can't walk the road. We got to get in here. And so we go into the woods. And man, the way we were hiking with a rain fly over us and one person kind of looking and the other looking at the feet of the, of the person in front of him, the, the washout from the rain was just unbelievable. I mean, water was pouring down this mountain and the, the trail quickly became a channel for a small stream. I mean, it was just getting flooded. And then all of a sudden, there was all these other runoff areas to our left and our right. And in, in an instant, we got so confused. What, what's the trail? Like, is that runoff the trail? Do we follow that path? Because the water's going that way. Do we follow this? Dude, we don't know. And so we just kept walking. We just kept moving. We tried our best to keep an eye on it. But, but slowly, we felt that feeling of, of getting lost. And I hate that feeling, truly lost. I, I don't just mean like you're in the grocery store and you're looking for pickles and you wind up at like cream cheese. I mean like we were really lost. And so we, we, we just kept moving. We kept looking for this one path that we were supposed to hit, this one pass, path that we were supposed to hit, this forestry road. And, and finally, we came to something that was definitely a channel, like it had been cleared at one point in history. And we thought, oh, Ooh, okay, we're relieved, this is it. And so we walked that road for a bit only to find it dead-ended in a briar patch, like there was nowhere to go. And so now we're like, well, what do we do? And, and so we just kept heading down the mountain. That's all we knew how to do. We couldn't orient by the sun. It was storming and raining. Everything was gray. I couldn't navigate with shadows or stars. Like I could not get my direction whatsoever in this storm. And yeah, I didn't bring my compass on this trip. I know, I know. So I, I couldn't get any bearing based off what was around me. And desperately, frantically, every hour we spent in these woods just wandering aimlessly, we just felt like we were further and further away from any hope or any help, and that feeling just started to sink in. It's getting darker. It's getting darker. The fog is getting thicker. We can't see as well. Like that feeling just started to sink in. Dude, we have no idea where we're at. We're in some chunk of woods. No one knows we're here because we weren't supposed to walk the road back down. This is bad. And we were just desperately looking for any reference point, anything, anything, like some geographical feature or, or maybe just some cut in the woods that looks like maybe a, a trail, anything, we were looking desperately to see that this could be our, our reference point. This could rescue us somehow. Every, I was just constantly scanning for stuff. And eventually we found a, a logging road. No one was using it. It was long gone, but we found a logging road, and so at least we found something, and we walked that for a while, and we eventually found a road that doesn't exist, according to the park rangers when we talked to them later. I don't know what that means, but we were on it, and eventually that took us to this other place, and all of a sudden we saw far off in the distance, it's almost sunset, it's dusk, we see far off in the distance red, 
and immediately we know what it is. It's taillights. And man, that feeling of, oh, we found someone. We found something we recognize. We see a reference point. We know this is our rescue. We found taillights. And one person in the dead of winter was camping in this campsite in the middle of nowhere, but it was road accessible. And his, his name is Mike. He's the only person back there in this whole section of the park. And we explained our story to him. He was a little skeptical of us because we're literally like two dudes. We, we, we look like we've fallen down the mountain, not come down. And he's super sketched out. Like, why did you come from that way? There's nothing that way. And we're trying to explain it to him. But Mike ends up driving us all the way back to our cars. He rescues us from the scenario. That, that feeling, yeah. Give it up for Mike, yeah. I'll let, him, I'll let him know if I ever see him again. I told my students about you, Mike. They applauded you. They'll be like... Okay, um, <laughs> don't do it again. Um, that feeling of being lost, of being hopeless, of, of knowing there's a problem, and looking for the reference point, looking for anything, anything on the horizon that could help us. Man, is, does that tree have a blaze? It, it, oh, what is that by the river? Is that anything? Is that constantly looking for a reference point? That's where we were at. Tonight we're going to be looking at a story of... of a man named Nicodemus, and a conversation that he has with Jesus. And this is kind of the conversation. This is a biggie. Because this conversation represents a lot of our hearts in this room tonight. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and he belonged to a religious group. And this group of people valued obeying the rules of God. In fact, they had 613 rules that they tried to obey, and they never could obey them, but they were very harsh in judgment towards everyone else who couldn't obey them. They were what we would call hypocrites, but they were zealous in their, in their passion for righteousness, even though they couldn't achieve it themselves. And so, and so they didn't really love Jesus. They weren't his biggest fans. In fact, oftentimes interactions with, with Jesus would happen in the temple or, or just out as he would teach, and they would leave those interactions <laughs> to go and plot his murder, <laughs> like they would meet in secrecy to plot the murder of Jesus, and eventually they succeeded in murdering Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. Nicodemus belonged to that group. He's a Pharisee. He doesn't like Jesus, or at least he's not supposed to like Jesus. He can't be associated with Jesus, but he's curious about Jesus. He's curious about this guy because Jesus is doing some amazing things. He's healing people. He's performing miracles. He's teaching with authority. He seems to have a grasp on the word of God like no one ever has. He seems to even speak on behalf of God and, and, and associate himself to being one with the Father. What is that? I mean, he, he's piqued the curiosity and the anger of the Pharisees. But Nicodemus is curious about Jesus, but he's embarrassed to be associated with Jesus because he's got a lot to lose. If people find out that Nicodemus is talking with Jesus, what will his friends think? What, what, will the other, what will the other Pharisees think? If they hate Jesus that badly, won't they hate me too? And so Nicodemus is curious, but he's embarrassed. He's cautious. He has a lot to lose. And I would say something else we see in Nicodemus, which I think marks our hearts pretty well, is that Nicodemus desires something which I think a lot of us in this room desire. Nicodemus desires certainty. Nicodemus just wants to know. He just wants to be sure. He just wants to have a figure. I mean, in this conversation that we're about to look at, it almost sounds as if Nicodemus is willing to trust in Jesus if Jesus can just lay out in fine detail the answers that Nicodemus has. He desires certainty. 
And I know in our Christian world, oftentimes we throw this idea out there that if, if you're doubting in your faith, that's a bad thing. Don't doubt. And I, I actually want to pause that train of thought and say, uh, no, can we not say that, please? Because doubts can be a very, very healthy process because doubts lead you to asking questions. Doubts lead you to investigate your faith more. Doubts can lead you further down the path of truth towards Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The strongest faiths I know are the faiths that have been tempered by the flames of doubt. Doubts in and of themselves are not bad or evil or wrong. Please, if you're wrestling, if you have doubts, don't feel guilty about that. Investigate those doubts. Ask the good questions. I think what's far more dangerous than doubts is certainty. The absence of faith to me is not doubting. The absence of faith is being certain about something. Because faith requires some sense of trusting in that which we don't understand. To be certain about it removes faith entirely. I think certainty is a way more dangerous thing than doubting. And yet we applaud it in our culture. It's like, yeah, we need to be certain about this. And Nicodemus wants answers. He just wants to know, man, can you just lay this out? Can you help me? Can you, I just want to be I'll trust in you, man, but I just want to know. If I've got a lot to lose, if the other Pharisees are going to, hey, I just want to know that this is worth it. Can you lay it out? And Jesus does something interesting. He leaves Nicodemus in the tension of mystery. And we're going to pick up that conversation tonight. John chapter 3. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. John chapter 3. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. We have it on the screen for you. And you can follow along on the screen. Now, probably the most famous verse in all the scripture, John 3, what? 16. Yeah, you guys are good. You know it. We're ending right before that verse tonight, okay? But John 3, 16 really has a powerful punch when we understand John 3, 15. And oftentimes, 3, 15 is overlooked because John 3, 16 is the most famous verse. Everyone knows it. So tonight we're going to look at John 3, 1 through 15. We're going to look at this, this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. So let's pick it up. Verse 1 of chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. We already talked about who he was, who the Pharisees are. He was a ruler of the Jews. So Nicodemus, he's a man in charge. He has some authority. He's a big deal. He's a big dude. This man came to Jesus by night. Why do you think by night? Yeah, yeah, he's embarrassed, right? Like he doesn't want anyone to know that he's talking with Jesus. Now look, man, I, I, I know like in this room, on this trip, it's pretty easy to be like, yeah, Jesus, he's so good. The angels sing about you so, like it's so easy to sing those songs. But what about when you go back home and you come back down the mountain a little bit? What about when you're walking around the hallways of your school or your home school? Don't think I forget about you. I got you, man. You're walking in the hallways of home, <laughs> looking at my family portraits, and I'm at school, man. What about when you're representing Jesus out in the real world, man, out in life? All of a sudden, it becomes a little harder to be that passionate, that open about what you believe. There's some sense of, man, I... Dude, am I embarrassed about this? Depending on who we're around at certain times, I'd say we can be guilty of that pretty easily. Even me, man, I've been there. I struggle with that sometimes. Like, man, how, how open do I need to be, you know, wrestling with that? Nicodemus is wrestling with his association with Jesus. I think we do too, if we're honest. He comes to Jesus by night, and he says to him, Rabbi, that means teacher. He says, teacher, we know that you 
or a teacher that's come from God. No one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. That's interesting. Nicodemus recognizes, dude, there's something about you. I can't deny it, man. You do things. We can't argue with them. We know that you're from God. I think Nicodemus is genuine in that claim, but maybe he's using flattery. I don't know, but I think he's genuine. I think he's saying, dude, I know you're from God because of the things you do. Jesus answered him. Now, this is interesting. Jesus answered him. You notice Nicodemus didn't ask a question, right? You notice that? There's no question mark there. Nicodemus doesn't say, man, are you from God because of the things you do? And then pause to give Jesus a moment to step into the conversation. He doesn't do that, does he? Nicodemus is seemingly mid-sentence, mid-thought. Jesus, we know that you're from God. You couldn't do the things you do unless you're from God. Jesus says, all right, I got something for you. I mean, it's, you, you kind of feel the abrupt jolt to Nicodemus' flow. Jesus answers a question that Nicodemus hasn't even asked yet. Jesus inserts himself into the conversation. He gives Nicodemus a response to a question that Nicodemus isn't asking, but desperately desires to know. Jesus says this to Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, born twice, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus didn't ask a question. He just says, Jesus, we know you're from God. Jesus says, I'm telling you, you gotta be born twice to see the kingdom. Kind of an interesting conversation so far. Nicodemus is a little <laughs> confused by this. He says, how, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now look, Nicodemus seems like a smart guy. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's a man in authority. He's a Pharisee. You got to know your scriptures backwards and forwards. Seems like a smart guy. But he doesn't know how to interpret Jesus' teaching here. Jesus, we know you're from God. You couldn't do the things you could unless you're from God. And Jesus says, you got to be born again, brother. Nicodemus says, Whoa. I mean, he's like doing the mathematical calculations in his mind. I mean, I'm this old. I'm this big. And my mom, uh, hmm. Like, you know, like that's how he's thinking. He's taking this literally. He's like, dude, I, I, this is an awkward phone call. Like, um, mom, listen, I just met this dude. He told me I got to, well, there's no easy way to say this, repeat the process of, of my birth. You know, like, what? Like, it's, a, it's, a, it's an audacious statement. Now, we're used to this kind of language because we've heard it all the time, especially in the South. Born again, born again, born again, brother. But Nicodemus, this is the first time this language is, is being used. This is new to his ears. He doesn't know how to interpret it, and he takes it literally. He responds with a kind of shocked, almost, I would imagine, appalled, like grossed out reaction. Whoa, what? Dude, how can someone who's old go back into his mother's womb and then re come out? Like, I don't get that. Now, listen, I, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced a birth other than your own, but, but I have. I've experienced two, my, my sons. And I'm just telling you, there is nothing on the planet that can experience, that, that can prepare you for the birth of a child when you see it firsthand. Like, um, 
<laughs> like, dude, my firstborn, Trent, my, my son, he's almost four now. I'm, I'm in the room with Lauren, and uh, I, you know, I wanted to be in there. You know, I wanted to be in the mix of it. You know, like, it's game time. <laughs> Let's put on the game face. Yo, baby, I'm here for you. You know, like, can I rub your shoulders? Can I, what can I do for you? And I'm in there, man. The doctor, like, I'm, I'm standing right beside Lauren. She's got my hand. The doctor's here, and there's, a, there's a, an, an assistant here. The room's full of people. They're just, you know, waiting. <laughs> so, catch the hike as it comes out. You know what I mean? Like, they're just waiting. It's a whole team full just ready for all this stuff, man. And, and so I'm there, and it's my first experience, man. It's my firstborn. Any parents in the room? Yeah, firstborn? Oh, my gosh, dude. <sighs> dude. Like, I, 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 I am kind of embarrassed to admit this, but I probably needed more attention from the nurses than Lauren did. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, should I feel this, Lucy? Is this normal? Should I get uh, orange juice, please? Like, I was just so, whoo, man. <laughs> but I'm there, man. I'm in the thick of it. And my wife is here. And, man, we're, like, I'm trying to, you know, ease the tension and, and you know, crack a joke here and there. I don't I do that when I'm nervous, man. <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing at... <laughs> But, dude, we're in the moment, and she's having contractions, and she's, she's pushing, and, and, the, and the, the contraction will finish, and, okay, let's breathe, let's breathe, let's, oh, here comes another one, push it, and, dude, I mean, oh, my gosh, first time, first time parents, first time I'm seeing this, like, I was just blown away by this whole process, and then, dude, I, I, I can't look at blood and guts and gore and things like, I just can't, man, like, it's like my weak in the knees, like, I was about to go, <laughs> And so, like, I'm looking at Lauren as I'm, like, helping down here. Like, yeah, baby. Oh, you got to be. Yeah, baby. And so, all of a sudden, man, that baby crowns. It starts to come out. And the doctor is there, and, and she's helping the, the process along. And, I mean, I'm standing there, and it's just, just like this miracle is happening right in front of you. And you're just, like, it's all there, and all these emotions are going crazy. And, and, and then the, the whole thing slides out. And, and the doctor, the doctor catches it and 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 I'm telling you it's crazy but what the doctor did to me is just plain cruel like there's something wrong with her she she knew I didn't want to look until it was out you know like I didn't want to look and so she lied to me she sinned against the pastor can you believe that in the in the dead of the moment as I'm trying to comfort my wife and you know like just put my hands wherever they need to be down here the doctor's like oh Matt Matt he's out he's out look look and I made a mistake I made a mistake I looked I peeked my eyes down to see a full-length baby boy Instead, what I saw is this head, and that head like turns, like it's, it like turned, like it's like, oh my gosh, dude, it was traumatic, dude, they do not, they need to teach a class to husbands, I'm telling you, here's what to expect. I'm getting woozy right now. Like, I'm literally like, oh, wow. And, man, so, so Trent, I mean, Trent comes out eventually, and then it's just this mad rush. Like, the doctor's got him. These people are coming over. And all of a sudden, they come over to me, and they hand me this pair of scissors, and they hold up the cord right in front of me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And they're like, cut it. Cut it. And, dude, they don't tell you how thick that thing is. It's not easy to cut. So I'm like, please just go through. Man, I'm, ki I'm not kidding, man. 
That is, that is a birth, man. That is a birth. It is wild, dude. And Nicodemus is hearing Jesus. Nicodemus is hearing Jesus literally. If you can imagine a full-grown man, he's like, I need to do that. I don't know if I do want to follow you. You know, like, I don't know. And Jesus helps him out. He says, listen, man. How can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb? Jesus says, truly, <laughs> truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, so he kind of gives him a clue here, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Verse 8, this is an interesting verse. The wind blows where it wishes, Nicodemus. A word wind there. Same word for spirit. I see you, team wind. That word wind there, same word for spirit. I mean, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, don't marvel at this. The spirit moves where he wishes. He blows where he wishes. The winds of God move as they wish. It's an interesting statement. When you hear it sound, and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus hears this, and he's still a little confused. And so in verse 9, he says, Jesus, how can these things be? Like, what do you, you got to be born of water and spirit, and now you're talking about, like, meteorology? The wind is, like, Jesus, I don't understand. How, how is this possible? How can this be? Jesus says, <laughs> kind of a little rebuke here, are you really the teacher of Israel? Like, you're really a teacher, bro? <laughs> like, and yet you don't understand these things? Remember, Nicodemus wants certainty. He wants answers. How? How? How is that? Born again? You mean I have to go back into my mother's womb? No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spirit. Well, how does that work? What are you talking about there? You're really a teacher, and you don't know what I'm talking about, Nicodemus? Truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. We bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's Jesus. He's talking about himself there. In verse 14, we're going to focus on this verse for a minute here. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, what? Like, dude... <clears throat> Let's be honest, this is not the easiest conversation to track with. Nicodemus is meeting Jesus in secrecy. He's embarrassed, but he's curious. He has a lot to lose. He wants to talk to Jesus, but he wants certainty. He doesn't know how to deal with Jesus' mysterious and albeit vague statements sometimes. He starts talking to, Nicode uh, to Jesus, and Jesus kind of interjects an answer to a question he hasn't asked. You have to be born again. Nicodemus takes this literally. How is that? What? How, that's impossible. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm not talking about water birth. Anything that's born of water is, is, is of the flesh. I'm talking about a spiritual birth because that which is born of spirit is spirit. And he's like, oh, okay, but, but, but how is that possible? Nicodemus, you're a teacher. You don't know what I'm talking about. You want me to explain to you heavenly things, but you don't even believe my earthly teachings. The wind blows where it pleases. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, I need to be lifted up. What? Like, this is such like a, dude, how do you track with this conversation? Seemingly, Jesus is talking about a lot of different things here, but it's actually one common idea. 
And it's how we respond to Jesus, how we respond to him. So Jesus here, just as Moses, you remember Moses, session one? No? Cool. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, we love your teaching, Matt. We totally remember from a night ago. Moses, session one, he, Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And then look at verse 15. 15 sets up 16. 15 says that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I mean, it almost seems like Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, your earthly birth grants you an earthly life, but I'm talking about a spiritual birth that will grant you a an eternal life, a life of the Spirit. And the Spirit blows where he wishes. The winds of God blows where they wish. Moses lifted up a snake. I must be lifted up that everyone who believes in me can have eternal life. What is that? What? What are you talking about, Moses? So what is Jesus referring to here? Jesus is referring to this really, really interesting story that we find in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers. In fact, why don't we jump there? Numbers chapter 21, we have the verses up on the screen for you. Um, basically what's going on is God is, is leading um, Moses and the Israelites through the wilderness. And, and in the process of, of navigating through the wilderness, they decide to take this route, this path, and the people don't like the route. Moses is leading them, and they don't like Moses' leadership. And in fact, they don't like God. Which is mind-blowing, because this is the generation that saw more powerful acts of God than any generation prior. God delivered them from Egypt through the ten plagues. He split the, the Red Sea and the Jordan River for them, allowed them to pass through on dry, dry ground through two bodies of water. As they wandered through the wilderness, he became a pillar of cloud by day, the wilderness is hot and exposed to the sun. A cloud provided shade and breeze to protect his people. As they wandered through the wilderness, he became a pillar of fire by night. Night in the desert in the wilderness is often chilly and cold and dark. And so God becomes warmth and light. They wanted food and God made bread rain down from heaven. They needed protein and God made quail come along. They needed water, and God makes water come out of rocks. He has literally given them every single thing they need in their journey, every provision they could want. And because of the route that they took, they started to complain against Moses and against God. You ever complain over really petty things? Yeah, we don't like this way, Moses. Woodruff at 5 p.m., Moses. We don't like this. That's how they talked back then, by the way. So they start to complain against God, against Moses. In fact, they say, like, man, we were better off in Egypt. <gasps> you were better off in slavery under an oppressive ruler, a dictator named Pharaoh? You were better, really, guys? Because of the route, you're going to say that? Yeah, what's God done for us? Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> the audacity. So God does something really interesting. God allows these snakes to come in and around and among the, the Israelites. And these snakes were venomous. They were toxic. Now, I hate snakes personally. Like, this would terrify me. He allows these snakes to come in. And when these snakes bit you, it would kill you. God does this to kind of grab their attention, to say, 
Listen to what you guys are saying. You would rather be in slavery than free. You would rather be oppressed than be provided for. I'm leading you to a better place. You want to go back to your enslavement? Listen to yourselves. You're complaining. You're grumbling. God does this to sober them up to the reality of life. Oftentimes when we get comfortable, we forget how much we need God. And just a little bit of pain is a very, very helpful thing. So God allows these snakes to come. If you were bit by a snake, it was toxic, it was poisonous, it would kill you. But God's judgment is always paired with God's mercy. And so God provides a way to be healed. And that's where we're going to look. Numbers 21, look at verse 7. We'll look at it on the screen together. The people came to Moses, said, look, we've sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he would take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. He goes to God and he begins to pray for the people. God says to Moses, why don't you make the very image of the snake that's biting them? Make that same image. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent. He casts this serpent, the very image of the thing biting them. He casts it on a pole and he sets it up in the camp of the people. Now, the amount of people, it wasn't just like a room like this. I mean, it was thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Man, this, as they're, they're nomads, they're journeying, but they're always spread out. So he sets this snake statue up on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, they could look at the bronze statue, the serpent, and live. If you were bitten, you were sure to die, but God's judgment is paired with God's mercy. God provided a way for them to live. The very image of the thing killing them is the very image of the thing that would rescue them. Now look at what they asked Moses, though. Look at what they asked Moses. They said, Moses, can you, t- can you ask God, pray to the Lord that he would take the serpents from us? Can you go and you ask God to take away these things that are causing us so much pain? Listen to the heart behind that for a second. It was because of the absence of the serpents in the first place that you forgot about how good God is to you. Anyone in here struggle with pain, with discomfort? In life, things that seem to disrupt your plan. Thank you, bro. See that hand? Things that seem to disrupt your plans. Like, man, this isn't what I had planned in life. I didn't plan for snakes to be biting me everywhere I go. Yeah, who does? Anyone in here struggle with like, man, when things come along, my prayer is often, God, could you just take this away? That's what they asked Moses. Could you pray to God that he would just remove the snakes altogether? Man, we often view pain as the, as the enemy of our growth, and it's not. It's the ally of our growth. Comfort is the enemy of your growth. There is truly no such thing as a comfortable follower of Jesus. When you just settle in to the rhythms of life, and it's all about you and your American dream and, and, and your preferences and your desires, when nothing can be thrown off, otherwise God's at fault. Man, we were better in slavery than this. We have that attitude as well. Pain is not an enemy, it's an ally. Pain sobers us back up to how good God is. Pain brought their attention back to God. Man, we need God. Moses, can you pray? But they asked him, can you pray to God that he would take the snakes away? Notice, God doesn't take the snakes away, does he? But he does provide a way to be healed even in the midst of the snakes. 
And I find that in our lives, it's the same thing. Man, we're, we're, man God, could you just, ah, dude, if you would take this one thing out of my life, if you could just remove this one thing, man, I'm, I'm so tired of dealing with this, and I'm, to, I'm so tired of struggling with that. I'm so tired of wrestling with this issue, man. I've had it for years, or maybe it's a brand new thing. God, I, I didn't foresee this happening. God, could you take this away? We view, we view pain or discomfort as an enemy, but pain is often the pathway to peace. Pain brings us to our knees. Pain focuses us on God. And in the midst of pain, he may not remove it, but he gives us a way through it. He gives us endurance and sometimes even healing in the midst of pain. The presence of pain is not the absence of God in your life. And our prayers are are usually like this. God, could you just take away this problem? And God's saying, no, because if I took it away, you would forget that you need me. But I can give you a way through it. Sometimes that looks like healing. Sometimes it just looks like endurance. We need to be reminded of our need for God. When we're comfortable, when everything's going our way, we forget how much we need God. We start to complain about petty things, little things. Now jump back to John 3, the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. Remember verse 14, Jesus says, to, to, in an effort to help Nicodemus understand what he's talking about, Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so I must be lifted up. Why? Verse 15, this is crucial, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So look at, the, look at the comparison. Look at what Jesus is establishing. Nicodemus, you're, you're, you're a Pharisee. You're an Old Testament guy. I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna throw you an Old Testament bone, brother. You'll know this story. Remember Moses? Remember when the snakes came into the camp? Yeah, man, they bit the people, didn't they? And those people were surely to die. But God provided mercy in the midst of his judgment and, and he instructed Moses to lift up the statue of the very same thing, the very same image, a, a, a snake, and if someone would look at it, they would be healed. Man, let me just pause here and ask you, dude, if, if, you were, if you were walking around as an Israelite in those days, if you were like traveling through the market or you were, you were, I don't know, going outside the camp, you were gathering materials for building or you were just going for a stroll or whatever, and you knew that there were fiery serpents just lurking in the sand, like, like ready to bite, like I... And you knew you were done if you would get bitten. I don't think for a second that you would ever lose your reference point of where that serpent statue was. Like you would leave camp every day completely honed in to where that thing is. You would have this internal compass, much like me, lost in the woods. You would be constantly looking for that reference point. Where's the serpent? Where's the statue? Where's this? I was bitten my leg, man. Like where is it? And think about it. You're not staying like close to home every single day. You might go miles outside of camp. You might try, you might have to do things. If you were bit miles outside of camp, you wouldn't just like, oh, rats, I just got bit. Oof. Now, which way was that statue? Is it, was it east or did we, like, you would not be that casual about it. Dude, you would sprint back to camp. You would always know, you would have this bearing, where's the statue? I gotta be healed. I gotta have my reference point. I gotta look at it in faith that I'll be healed. Think about even being in the camp, man. These were nomads. They all had tents. There was always obstacles in the way. We don't know necessarily how tall this thing was. Dude, you're walking down the street, you get bit, you're not gonna be like, oh, shucks, I got like uh, eight block walk to that statue. No, man, what are you gonna do? 
Dude, you're like hopping over some tins. Like, dude, if I can just peek at the tip of it, man, I, like you would be desperate to see, to get a glimpse of that statue. You'd be running through the streets. You'd be elbowing some grannies. You know, like, move it, I'm bitten in my leg. Like, you'd be going. Because the only thing that would matter in that moment, you would recognize I have been bitten with the sting of death, and I need to look at the only thing that can heal me. And interestingly, it was the same exact image of the thing that bit you. Here's, here's Jesus' point. Nicodemus, you want to know what it's like to be born again. You want to know what it's like to be born of the Spirit. I need to be lifted up so that everyone who believes in me may have eternal life. Every single person, when they recognize that they have been bitten by the sting of death. We call that sin. When they realize that they have been bitten by the sting of death, when they realize that they are in need of help and a rescuer, when they realize that they are in need of a healer for their souls and their bodies, when they become aware that they have this toxin racing through their veins, this, this sin that has separated them from my heavenly Father, when they become aware of that, they are going to need a place to look to, to be made right again, to be healed again, to be brought back in the camp again. They're going to need a place of reference to look to so that they do not lose their life but continue to live. Nicodemus, that's me. I need to be lifted up. What does the scripture say? He who knew no sin became sin. Jesus takes on the very image of the thing that is killing us. Just as Moses lifted up the image of the very thing that was killing the Israelites. Jesus took our sin, became sin on that cross, put sin to death, defeated it once and for all, never to come back, so that we could have life through him. But the, 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 the allegory that Jesus is building, or, or this idea that Jesus is establishing is, you have to realize you need to look to it. You are lost in the woods and there is a storm surrounding you and you are desperately searching for a reference point. I couldn't find one until I found the taillights of that car. My rescue, my hope, my help, my way out of this. Jesus is building that same idea. We are walking through life and we have been bitten by something. We have sin, we've inherited this, we were born with this. And it's actually toxic, it will kill us. But God in his judgment always pairs it with mercy. And Jesus was lifted up on the cross so that all who look to him can have eternal life. Everyone who looks to Jesus as their rescuer, their healer, their redeemer, their helper, their friend, the one who can cure them of this bite will live. Not just in this life, not just born of the flesh, Nicodemus, but spiritual birth. They will live forever. And Jesus, man, in our lives, like, we believe in Jesus, right? We grew up with the, we grew up with church. We believe in Jesus, man, but we lose our reference point. Like, we walk around in life, and then things happen, and we're kind of like, now, where was the cross? Was it that way? Did I, where, where, where did we come? We totally forget about Jesus in our lives until we know we need him. Until we remember how fragile we are. 
just as anyone in the Israelite camp would have never gone anywhere without some reference to where the statue was, we cannot move without a reference to the cross. It is the image of our sin, but it's also the image of our hope. And it leads to the empty tomb, which is the image of our victory over sin itself and death. And Jesus is building this story no matter where you go. Man, there's a place to look, but you better not forget where it is. Don't lose sight of Jesus. Don't get so lost in the comforts of this life that you forget you need him. Orient your heart around him everywhere you go, every day you step out of your home, every step you take. Orient your life around Jesus because he is our helper, he is our healer, he is our hope. And he is the one who provides eternal life when we look to him in faith. Not just, yeah, I need Jesus. It's cool. It's popular. Yeah, I need Jesus. I grew up in the South. My parents are Christian. I probably need that. That's not what I'm talking about, man. I'm talking about a desperate kind of faith that knows you are bitten. I'm talking about jumping over tents. I'm talking about elbowing people out of the way. I'm talking about sprinting from miles off just to see it, man. I just got to see it because that's my only hope of healing. Are you that desperate for Jesus? Does that define your faith? Or have you fallen into the trap of comfortable and complacent Christianity? And that's not faith. That's convenient. Jesus says to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes. The spirit moves where he moves. You feel it coming, but you don't know where it came from. You don't know where it goes. That's what it's like, Nicodemus. And I would have a question for every single person in this room tonight. Is the wind blowing? in your heart tonight? Is the Spirit moving? Has He stirred up something in you that, you man, you just can't, you've got to respond somehow. You've got, you got to do something with this, man. You can't just sit there. You've got, you got to take this. You've got to look to the cross. You've got to, you got to respond to Jesus tonight. And so we're going to enter into a time of response. And it's a, set of, it's a formal time, like it's a time when we respond to how the Spirit is moving in our heart. There's no pressure here. There's no pressure to do anything. I want you to respond how the Spirit is stirring your heart. But I do have a few categories to help us think through what this looks like. When I was 16 years old, I had a conversation with a youth pastor. And he explained to me the difference between knowing that God is real and being known by that God. And it was the first time I'd ever heard that I could actually have a relationship with God, be in a friendship with God that grows and it's vibrant and it would be intimate. I'd never heard that before, 16 years old. I trusted in Jesus. I put my faith in. I looked to the cross for my healing, for my sin. And I'm going to give you an opportunity tonight because I think maybe there's some in this room that have never trusted in Jesus in that way. You grew up in church, sure. Maybe you're from the South, so it was a little bit cultural. Maybe you've heard it all your life, but maybe tonight you're sitting here and the wind's blowing in your heart and you're just thinking, dude, I don't know if I've ever believed in Jesus like that. Man, I I don't know if I have relationship. I I think I've got religion, man. I I need to move into this this whole other world of following Jesus. I need to trust him with my life. Dude, I've been bitten. I'm dying. He's my cure, man. I'm going to do anything and everything I can to look to my healer. And if you're sitting here in the chairs tonight, and you're like, dude, I want to believe in Jesus. I want to trust in Jesus for my healing. I want to have a relationship with Jesus. Here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to stand up in your seat right now. 
And I know that's difficult because like, Stan, yeah, but I'm not a fan of the every head bowed, every eyes closed. If you start a relationship off with Jesus by being too embarrassed to do it publicly, I think you're going to have a hard time walking with Jesus. I want you to start off on the right foot in front of everyone, man. Declare it. Yes, stand up. Ain't nothing to be ashamed about. Nothing to be ashamed about. You're loved here. You're loved here. I'm going to let this sit. Anyone want to believe in Jesus tonight? Stand up. Now's your time. Enter a right relationship with Jesus tonight. Stand up. Absolutely, man. We love you. We're applauding you. We're celebrating with you. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Stay standing. Stay standing, man, because I, I don't want you to feel any embarrassment. You belong here. You're loved here. Jesus loves you, man. Angels are partying in heaven right now. Oh, yes, Jesus. There's a second category of people, maybe, people who have looked to the image before, but they've forgotten about it. They've gotten comfortable again. They're far off out in the wilderness. Maybe they got rebit, and you realize, dude, I'm so far from Jesus. Dude, I believed in him once before, but I'm so far from him. Second category of people might be, tonight, do you need to return to Jesus? And you've been living that double life. You know what I'm talking about church family on Sunday, church friends on Sunday, but in the schools, outside of church, it's a whole different ballgame, right? And dude, you're just tired of it. You're tired of the tension. You're tired of the lies. You're tired of the pressure. You're tired of that embarrassment. You're tired of feeling like you're on the fence. You're living two lives. You want to return to Jesus tonight. You want to make it right. You want to, you want to get back right with Jesus tonight. I want to invite you to stand up right here and now. No shame in that either, man. This is a night of response, man. We're, we're repenting. We're laying our sin down. Yes. Yes, man. Yes, abs. Yes, yes. Praise God, man. Yes, nothing to be ashamed about. You want to make it right? You stand, man. You're declaring it. I want this. I'm not embarrassed. Yes, 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 yes. And we're rejoicing with you, man. We're rejoicing. Yes. One final category. I want to. I want to think us through. Not a return to Jesus, not a not a, a first-time response to Jesus. But man, maybe the wind is blowing in your heart in this way. That God has put something on your heart, some some sense of purpose that you just have to do something with. And I know sometimes, man, we feel God prick and provoke our heart, and it's so easy to be like, ah, no, next time I'll do. It. No, don't wait till next time. Man, I was at, I was at something like this as a 16-year-old, a few months after I followed Jesus, and I felt God prick my heart in something like this and say, I want you to do for other teenagers what I've done for you. And so began my steps into serving the next generation. And I think sometimes God has some specific callings on our lives. Maybe for you it's to be a missionary overseas somewhere, man, it's furthering the kingdom in places where people don't even know the name of Jesus. Maybe for you it's to, to be a professional pastor, to work in the church. Maybe for you it's just, dude, no matter what my vocation, no matter where I'm at, I will live for Jesus. But he's given me a specific idea of what that is. But I want you to respond to that, man, because God may be calling you to a purpose that you need to commit to. Because if you don't commit to it, you may not ever do it. So publicly, if that's you, if you just sense God is pricking your heart, the wind is blowing in your heart in a way to respond to him in a specific purpose, would you stand right now? Declare it, man. Man, I just sense God is stirring that. I just, I just, yes. I want to commit. I want to declare it. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Oh, we're so proud of y'all. We're so proud of you guys. Here's what I want us to do, man. I want us, 
ah, can we just give it up? Dude, God, you are so good. Can we just give it up for these people? We love you guys, we love you guys. God, you're so good. Here's what I want us to do, man. I want us to enter a time of response. Every single person that's standing, I want you to spread out, man. Get in the aisle, get, get, get up here. Spread out wherever you need to get and get on your faces, man. I want you to pray, I want you to pray. Leaders in the room, if these are in your small groups, spread out, walk around, put some hands on people, pray for them, pour the spirit over this place. Beseech God to, to come in, in into this time and this place. Leaders spread out. Even if they're not in your group, leaders spread out, spread out. Every single other person sitting in the chairs, man, there's no shame. There's no shame. It's not like, wow, I didn't stand. No, man, we're celebrating with you too. What that means is you have been faithfully living it out. And we're so proud of you, man. We rejoice with you. But during this time, would you please pray? Extend your hands. Pray over these people. If you want to spread out too, if you see a friend up here, if you see someone you know, you see someone you need to pray with, go pray with them. Put a hand on their shoulder. Just walk up to them, pray with them. This is a time of response. This is a time of prayer. Jesus, surely the winds of the Spirit are blowing in this place tonight. You are moving in our hearts. Sons and daughters, join the family tonight. Sons and daughters came home tonight. Sons and daughters stepped into an intentional calling for their life tonight. Jesus, we rejoice in what you're doing we thank your spirit for pouring yourself in this place, for the winds blowing in this place. Father, we pray over this time. We love these students so much. We're so thankful. You guys pray. This is your response time. You guys pray. <laughs> 